Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. From London, this is The Standard Podcast and I'm Mark Blunden. Rishi Sunak won't like Mondays like this one. The PM will have woken up at number 10 battling two fronts as he gives evidence to the COVID inquiry before facing a crunch vote on Tuesday over his highly divisive Safety of Rwanda Asylum and Immigration Bill. In fact, the next two days are arguably the most critical of Sunak's barely year-long premiership so far. Later, we'll examine how he spent the weekend lobbying MPs to get the bill through, the fractured Conservative Party and the legal challenges. But first, we'll head to the COVID inquiry in Paddington, where Sunak's been probed on his time as Chancellor, lockdown decision-making, overseeing the flagship furlough scheme and controversial eat-out-to-help-out initiative, which has been blamed on helping spread the virus. Defending his COVID decision-making and getting into the technicalities, Sunak said he worked so closely with Boris Johnson that he saw the former a PM more than his own wife at times during the pandemic. I saw my role as Chancellor of the Exchequer as making sure that the Prime Minister had the best possible advice, information, analysis relating to the economic impact or consequences of some of the decisions that he was having to make. But what about his own COVID-era text messages? Well, apparently the PM is not a prolific WhatsApp user and had changed his phone multiple times. He began with an apology to families, but under questioning from Hugo Keith KC, an often smiling Sunak's disposition bore stark contrast to the outwardly contrite tone of Johnson, who gave evidence last week. Now we'll cross to the Standard's Courts correspondent Tristan Kirk, who's just breaking from mid-proceedings to speak with us outside, so apologies for the audio quality. Tristan, any revelations? Well, Rishi Sunak started off his evidence with um, an apology and saying that he's deeply sorry to the victims of the pandemic, the families of those who died and, and, and to the people who suffered. I'm, I'm not sure this qualifies as a revelation, but it's certainly the first time he's, he's offered those kinds of words. And it, it's in line with what other politicians, senior politicians have done when they've started their evidence is to open with words of condolence and apology, probably because they know that there are criticisms coming, there are some tough subjects that they're going to have to tackle and that they want that to be uh, up top and uh, heard first of all before they go into the detailed questioning. Any insight into the decision-making process? Well, it's, it's an odd sensation listening to Rishi Sunak's evidence because he is obviously our prime minister now. 
but he is speaking only as the Chancellor, as he was during the pandemic, and, and particularly today's evidence during the first part of the pandemic. And so when he's talking about big decisions being made and, and the contributions towards them, he's only offering that insight as the Chancellor rather than the grander decision-making that Sir Boris Johnson was making. Now, if it happened again, he would have to make. He is the person who was charged with protecting the economy during the pandemic. That's his line, his main line of answering the questions. And so therefore, whenever there is a bigger question about how decisions were made, he is looking very much through the prism of the economic impact of any particular decision. I think when you've watched the the evidence overall of various different ministers who've come to give their evidence of the, the decision making during the pandemic, you get the sense that everybody's in their particular silo and was um pursuing their particular line of interest when the decisions were made. So um, Matt Hancock naturally was was said he was entirely focused on the health impacts of any decision. And um, Michael Gove came along and, and said that he was giving his input based on the workings of the Cabinet Office. And Rishi Sunak today you know, basically said over and over again that he was looking out for the finances of the country, as you would expect a chancellor to do in those circumstances. But it does somewhat restrict the the public's sort of knowledge of understanding of how those decisions were made in the round. Was there any sense of mea culpa? Well, no, he's, he's come out fighting on, on a lot of the decisions that were made within his particular sector uh, to do with financing and to do with the economy. Basically, his line is that he was protecting our economy in the long run. So the schemes that were put in place, the furlough scheme, eat out to help out, and various sort of financial measures that were taken during the pandemic were done to protect the long-term interests of the economy. And he says that was his role. He was the chancellor, that was his department, and he was there to fight for the economy. And one of the particular things he's been asked about is the way that the first lockdown was eased. And he's been suggested that he was pushing for it to happen earlier than other people were perhaps comfortable with. But, you know, he said, well, I was just, you know, looking at the hospitality sectors, the uh, the retail sectors. And he said he also had an eye on schools as well. And he was thinking about the overall health of society and the economy and the, the way that that was going to uh, cost us in the long run. And again, more missing WhatsApps. I think this is incredibly frustrating for the public at large. It must be very frustrating for those who are trying to uh, run the inquiry and get to the bottom of things. And Rishi Sunak was not just any old person during the pandemic. He was the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And Boris Johnson was in a similar situation where they'd send messages, WhatsApps, emails. That's the kind of thing that we need to look at to determine how these decisions are made. Some of the messages we've seen from other people are very illuminating. They help to challenge positions that people are now taking and say, well, okay, you're looking at this uh, perhaps a plain sight. This is what you were thinking at the time. Richard Sunak says uh, he didn't really use WhatsApp that much, although he did concede that he does use it. And he, he said that he also doesn't use text messages very much, but he does use them. And yet, 
none of those are, seem to be available from the early part of the pandemic. The really key part where this inquiry is trying to get to the bottom of why particular decisions were made and why particular decisions weren't made. I think we're going to have to content ourselves that this is the position, that we can't see those messages and we'll really never know the exact words that we use. But the reason it's so frustrating is because quite a lot of Richard Sunak's answers today have been, I can't remember. Uh, I don't recall specifically what happened. I don't remember particularly what evidence we were given and, and why that particular decision was made. That's the point of inquiries and, and other types of court investigations is that you present the evidence, the written evidence, the stuff that you can actually rely on, and then you present it to a witness. Let's go to the ads. Coming up, all eyes on the Commons for Sunak's Rwanda Migration Bill vote. Latest with the Standard's Chief Political Correspondent, Rachel Burford. Why not hit follow in the meantime? Give us a rating. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back now to Rishi Sunak's second major challenge to start the week, trying to push through his flagship policy to try and send illegal migrants to Rwanda. Here's Defence Secretary Grant Shapps speaking on BBC Breakfast. I don't have the parliamentary uh, maths. What I do know is that uh, this legislation is very important. Uh, the uh, the second reading, is, which is the thing which happens this week, is essentially saying we want to actually tackle this problem. I'd invite all parliamentarians to vote for it. To find out more about the arm twisting Sunak will have been doing over the weekend and what this means for his future, we're joined from Westminster by The Standard's chief political correspondent, Rachel Burford. On Tuesday, these new laws aimed at sort of overcoming the legal hurdles in sending people to Rwanda um, are coming to a vote in the Commons. As you know, sort of all previous attempts to deport people to Rwanda have been thwarted by the courts. But there is a hope from the government that this sort of two-pronged strategy, briefly, they've got coming on Tuesday, will actually help get people over the line and finally get people on flights out to Rwanda. This is people coming to the country illegally, as they say, so mainly people coming on small boats over the channel. We've seen huge amounts of people coming over this way at tens of thousands last year and, and this year. So um, this is a sort of way to tackle that kind of migration to the UK. Rachel, what's been some of the political horse trading going on over the weekend? 
Rishi Sunak's facing discontent from both sides of his party at the moment, the more centrist side and the more right-wing side. So he's been on a bit of charm offensive over the weekend. So the government has been sort of circulating this modelling, showing how the projected effects of the Rwanda bill um, will impact immigration. They see, you know, they're saying that 90% of those appealing deportation at the moment would be refused and they would have those appeals rejected and they would, well, within 10 to 12 days because of this new legislation. And he's also reportedly invited some of the rebels in for breakfast tomorrow morning to do a sort of last minute charm offensive so he can try and convince them to vote for this legislation which they may not 100% agree with. And this bill is incredibly divisive. There's been some considerable discontent in the ranks. Yes, there's quite a bit of discontent brewing in the ranks over this policy. On the right of the party, you know, you've got former Home Secretary Suella Braverman, who was obviously sacked, and Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick, who quit last week over this bill. They're arguing it doesn't go far enough and that it must block all routes of legal challenges to allow flights to take off to Rwanda. And then you've got the One Nation Caucus, which is um, just over 100 MPs who are more in the centre of the party. And they're much more concerned about protecting um, the Human Rights Act. They're actually meeting at seven o'clock tonight night and they're going to release a statement after sort of um outlining their position on the bill but they've sort of quite strongly warned the prime minister to you know think twice about overriding either the european court of human rights or the human rights act on this one what's the current legal position the courts last month resoundingly said this is not legal and declared Rwanda as not a safe country obviously the government has tried to overcome that by last week going um they sent uh, home secretary james cleverly out there to sign this new treaty which they're hoping will overcome some of that and they're hoping these new laws will but there has been a lot of talk and actually this morning rishi sunak's um spokesman said that the government would actually be releasing its legal advice that it's had um, this afternoon we should get a sort of summary of the legal advice they have had about how this plan will work. Finally, Rachel, thanks very much for your time. Is this make or break for the PM? Yeah, obviously, stopping the boats has been one of his big five pledges he made when he became Prime Minister. And um, we don't know when another election is going to be, but, you know, he's got until technically January next year to hold one. So these small boat crossings do tend to stop or become less frequent during the winter just because of the weather. So if he does decide to hold an election in winter next year, he's got a whole summer where potentially you could get hundreds or thousands of people coming over on these small boats. So he is pretty up against it to try and get these crossings stopped and to um, bring down immigration, which is what a lot of his MPs want to see happen. There's more on this story in the Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. We're back on Tuesday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.